Good morning. What a beautiful time to get together and worship. Um, open your Bibles to Ezekiel 34, and we have Preston. Uh, Preston is one of our summer interns who's reading uh, God's Word to us this morning. Ezekiel 34. Thank you. I will start in verse 25. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate dangerous creatures from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the forest. I will make them in the area around my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in their season. They will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit and the land will yield its produce. My flock will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the power of those who enslave them. They will no longer be prey for the nations, and the wild creatures of the earth will not consume them. They will live securely, and no one will frighten them. I will establish for them a place renowned for its agriculture, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land. They will no longer endure the insults of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people. This is the declaration of the Lord God. You are my flock, the human flock of my pasture, and I am your God. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Let's pray. Father God, we worship you. We're grateful we can come into your presence. We adore you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Whether we are like a Jonah, running away in disobedience, and you pursued him, or whether we're like um, uh, Daniel, who was a faithful follower of you, and uh, stood uh, for truth and justice and righteousness, and was obedient to you, you have a desire for each one of us. Lord, meet with us this morning. Speak with us through our brother Mike, who's... Uh, bringing the message to us, and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now it's my pleasure to introduce to you our, our guest speaker, uh, who's continuing the service series of many counselors, uh, Michael Palmer. He, is, um, he served in the military, he's former police, and he has served in ministry for over 20 years. He doesn't look like that old to me. <laughs> But he has uh, his wife, Lisa, and, and teenage son, Michael Jr., and we're grateful to have him come. He now is the pastor of care at uh, a local church at LifePoint, and we look forward to hearing what you have to say to us, brother. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Good morning, everybody. I am excited to be here. I'm grateful for the invitation to come and share with you today. Um, uh, let's give it up for the worship team. They did a wonderful job, the worship team, tech folks in the back. Thank you so much for everything you do to make this happen. So I was told, where it came, well, it came up in prayer that it was Julia's first time on this stage. Is that right? Um, she didn't look like it was her first time, did she? There she is. Great job, young lady. Very, very comfortable. And before we walked out after we prayed, you know, I said something about it being our first time. 
She didn't say this, but this was the body language. I got this, Mike. That's pretty much, that's pretty much how she walked away from me. She didn't even turn, just, I got this. So good job. Way to go. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention before I jump into the text uh, is that on two occasions, I, when I got the invitation, I was very excited to get it from Frank and um, just praying the best for him as he's away on sabbatical. Uh, and then this morning, so I heard this, this word twice, uh, that you guys were a lively group. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and now I want you to know that that's okay, because for the 16, for 16 of the 21 years I've been in the pastoral ministry, um, I pastored uh, Baptist churches, and so whatever you throw at me is welcome, <laughs> but it needs to be holy, whatever it is. If you have anything else, there are elders here that you can throw those things at. But I'm excited to be here today to share with you. So let me just jump into the text. I want to read Ezekiel, uh, the the verses that you heard, but I want to read them from the New International Version. Uh, They're just a few words that are different. um, No major changes in um, the language and the meaning, of course, no matter what version we're reading, is all the same. So let me read verses 25 through 31 in Ezekiel chapter 34, and it's from the New International Version of the Bible. Uh, And this is uh, God's you know, God speaking through Ezekiel or giving him the words to share with his people. He says, I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit. And the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. With that being read, I want to uh, preach from the topic uh, and encourage you to do this as well. Trusting God through transition. Last week, um, was it Tim? Tim was here preaching last week. I don't know Tim, but I listened to his message and I loved it. Um, But one of the things that he said in the beginning of his message just kind of stood out. He was talking about Frank being away on sabbatical, and he said, that he hopes Frank returns from sabbatical excited, full, and ready. And I, I really love that. And I started to, to think that as excited, uh, as full, and as ready as I also hope that Frank is at the end of the summer, that I believe that God will give each of you what you need throughout this sermon series to Uh, ensure that you too are also excited, that you're full, that you're ready, 
so that when pastor and people of this fine church are reunited, there is no wasted time in God's transitioning you from one season into another. And this is one of the things that I believe and I look forward to is that God is always moving us forward. I believe that God is always in the process of growing us and developing us and strengthening our walk with him and our relationships with one another so that he can continue to keep moving us from one season to another, not necessarily one place to another, but one season of life to another. And something we all have to be mindful of as we go through these moments such as this is that our congregational transition must be accompanied by some individual transformation. In other words, if you're going to move corporately into a new season, there's some personal, yet sometimes painful changes that are a must. And these individual adjustments are necessary for the strengthening of the congregation or the congregational body so that together you can get to the places God wants you to go, do the work God wants you to do, reach the people God wants you to reach, and change the lives that God wants you to change. Are you with me so far? But with all the necessary changes, with all the adjustments that need to be made as we make our transition, one of the things that, ha- one of the things that has to remain consistent is this. And that is our faith in the fact that God is always in the process of moving us forward, even when it doesn't feel like it. There's a preacher that I like listening to. His name is Noel Jones. He's in Los Angeles, California. And I was listening to him uh, preach a sermon. And in that sermon, he referenced the story in Jeremiah about God uh, shaping the clay. He, He talked about being at the potter's house. And he made the statement. He said, the difference between us and the clay in that story is that we can feel God shaping and molding us where the clay could not. And one of the points that he was making is that it's difficult for us as human beings to become what God wants us to become sometimes because of what we feel while we're going through the necessary developmental changes that he wants us to go through in order for him to use us for his purpose and not our own. Our growth is sometimes stunted, I've learned, not because we lack the desire to be closer to God. It's because of the pain and the persecution we feel. And when we feel something that we don't like, we instinctively become resistant and hesitant, which often leads to us becoming complacent. And God cannot use those of us who remain resistant to spiritual development or those who have become so complacent and so comfortable in our Christianity that words like reaching and rising have been dropped from both our vocabulary and our vocation, from both our speech and our service to God. And we have to guard against this. Because when we get into that mindset where we get complacent in our spirituality and our service, what's likely to happen is that instead of striving to strengthen our relationship with the Lord, we become this master of disguise, living much like a Pharisee, connected to God through our religion, but not having any real relationship. And I've been there. And whether others want to admit it or not, at some point, a lot of us have. And one of the difficulties that I once struggled with that somebody may be struggling with in here now is that you don't want to bring any additional attention upon yourself by doing more for God because with the added attention comes some criticism and the likelihood that the real you will be exposed in the process. But all around us today, there are those who have a testimony that says in order to become a better servant, in order to 
uh, get to a more secure and sincere faith, we had to come out of the disguise. We had to take off the mask. We had to expose ourselves both to God and to man. And we had to endure the criticism. And in doing so, we made ourselves available to God. But to get there, we had to go through some seasons. We had to go through some situations filled with discomfort, filled with discouragement, filled with disappointment. Along the way, there were people who let you down and and you made some mistakes that set you back. But when you look back at those moments, now you see where God was shaping you and molding you much like that clay into who you are today. My point is this. Don't discount or dismiss the challenges that you've endured in your past. Because in order for you to get to where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you had to go through it, whatever the it was in your life. Amen? You were frustrated, but you had to go through it. You were heartbroken, but you had to go through it. You were embarrassed on occasion, but you had to go through it. You were lonely, but you had to go through it. There were people who looked at you, laughed at you, lied on you, and left you, but you had to go through it. Amen? And what is often difficult to see as we experience some challenges, some of the challenges that are inherently associated with change, is that God is always with us as he transitions us from one season of life to the next. And we have to be committed to simply trusting God through that transition. In this text, the Israelites are going through a transition in Ezekiel chapter 34. As a matter of fact, it's believed that this is a turning point in Ezekiel's um, ministry, where just before the text that I read, there is this uh, messianic prophecy where they, that God says he's going to give them one shepherd. And he, he, he then begins to, uh, Ezekiel, I mean, not God, but Ezekiel, we begin from this point on to be, talk more about God restoring his people back to their homeland. And so there's this transition, and you can see that it builds into this transitional period where they're moving from one season to another. And so as we look at these uh, passages or this passage of Scripture, this prophecy, if you will, I just want to connect it to some of the things that God is doing for even us today, as he did for these folks, and just talk about some of the things that God will do as he moves us through the transitions that we go through, either as a church or as individuals. And so the first thing I want to point out in the text is that as we move forward, as God transitions us, that he will bring you peace in problem areas. Can I get you to say peace? In verse 25, God says this. He says, I will make a covenant of peace with them and I will rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. Now, God, you have to know, is speaking metaphorically here, uh, just as he's been speaking throughout the chapter where he refers to the Israelites as sheep or the flock and their leaders as shepherds. And so, so in verse 25, the savage beasts are not actually beasts. They are the enemies of God's chosen people. The wilderness or the desert, if you will, represents the dry places, places that are barren and unproductive. And the, wild, or the, the forest symbolizes those places that are dense, those places that limit your vision and at times can be blinding. The King James Bible refers to the desert and the wilderness as, or the desert and the forest as the wilderness and the woods. And so what God is doing here, and he is promising to bring his people peace by keeping their enemies away from them. Now, the Israelites, as you know, for those of you who are Bible readers, they, have obviously, they obviously have problems with being intimidated and attacked in the wilderness and in the woods. 
And God is now promising to put things in order so that not only is the threat of being attacked removed, but what is also removed is the fear and the anxiety, the anxiety they feel as a result of the threats and the attacks from their enemies. But I need you to notice how God addresses their issue. Remember, this is the same God who once removed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. This is the same God who once removed Noah and his family so they would not be wiped away by the flood. This is the same God who once removed Lot and his family so they would not be burned with the cities and the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God has already displayed a history of removing or rescuing his people from ruin by removing them from problem areas. And so it would stand to reason that in order to give his people peace here in Ezekiel 34, that God would simply make a way for them to leave the wilderness and the woods. But that's not what he does here. He says this time, I'm not going to remove the people. I'm going to remove the problem. And once I remove the problems, I'm going to bring peace to the people in the same place where they once had their problems. You see, we have a tendency to ask and expect God to move us to better places when we're having problems where we are. It is, it is our natural instinct to just say, God, just move me to a better place. But God is letting you know today that there are going to be times when the solution is not for God to move you. The solution is for God to move your problem and give you some peace right where you are. Has anybody ever experienced that in life? You see, the problem that many of us have, and I've, I've faced it myself, uh, is that we're always trying to find peace, which keeps us running from place to place. But God says peace isn't something he hides like an Easter egg, hoping you'll find it somewhere. Peace is something that he possesses, and he promises to give it to us if we can just be still and wait for God to move. Amen? Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And I love that little verse of scripture because I learned a little bit about it is in the Hebrew language. The phrase be still actually has the basic meaning of relaxing your hands. And I thought that was interesting. I love words and phrases and trying to figure out the meaning of them. But it has the basic meaning of relaxing your hands. And so what God is telling us um, is if we want God to move in our lives, that we have to relax our hands. Why? Because when, when we face problems in our lives, what do we do? We grab a hold of that problem and we often try to fix it ourselves. And we hold on to our problem so tightly that God can't get in there and get his hands on the problem to fix it. And so God says, relax your hands, be still, and let God do what only God can do in our lives. And I want to encourage you today, if you've got something going on, that you've just got to relax your hands. Just let go of whatever it is you're holding on to and let God be the God that he can be in your life so that he can dress whatever issue you're going through. God will bring you peace in problem areas. But secondly, the text teaches us as we go through transitions is that he will not only bring us peace in problem areas, but he will also take us through these periods of preparation. Somebody say preparation. In verse 26, he says, I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. Now, when we hear God say things like this, um, when we sit, hear him say there will be showers of blessing, uh, we can get excited because we can imagine God just pouring out blessings upon us and showering us with his grace and showering us with 
his favor. He calls them showers of blessings, which means the blessings are just going to keep coming and coming. Blessing on top of blessing and grace and favor on top of grace and favor. Doesn't it make you feel good to know that you serve a God who is willing to allow his blessings to flow into your life? And if you don't feel good now, you'll feel good when you think about this, that he allows the blessings to flow into your life uh, that are undeserved, unmerited, unearned, unbelievable, blessings you didn't ask for, blessings you didn't pray for, blessings you didn't even work for. God just decides on his own to bring blessings into our lives. But we've got to slow down a bit and look at the text as we just thank God for all of our blessings, because God says he will send down the showers but he will send them in season. And as a result of these seasonal showers, verse 27 tells us that the trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. And so what is certain to happen here is this. God has designated specific seasons in which he will send down showers. And although they are called showers of blessing, The blessings are not realized until these showers cause the fruit to grow on the trees and the crops to spring up from the ground. And so one of the things that God is saying to us today is don't wait until you see the fruit and the crops to begin celebrating your blessing. Start celebrating during the rainy season in your life because the rain is an indication that your blessing is on the way. Amen. Amen. And so we've got to begin to celebrate God, not when we just see the blessing, not when we just see the job, not when we just see the home, not when we just see uh, the pregnancy, if you will, things that we have been praying for. But we've got to make sure that when the rainy season comes, that transitional period, when things are not happening between the prayer and the reality, that we are still celebrating the goodness of God, knowing that our blessing is on the way. But here's the catch. And Somebody, you know, this is that that kind of homiletical gut punch, you know, because this kind of hurt me, too, when I thought about it uh, the first time. And somebody, um, you know, may not like it, uh, but the only people who can celebrate during the rainy season are those who planted something before the rain came. Think about it. You have to sow something to grow something. You can't do nothing. And then just expect God to grow something out of ground that you have not sowed anything into. And so while nothing seems to be happening, that's when we've got to sow by praying. That's when we got to sow by serving. That's when we have to sow by giving so that there is something to grow from the ground. So there is something that will grow from the trees when God decides to bless us. So God moves us forward, and he gives us peace in problem areas. He takes us through these periods of preparation. But you will miss the peace in those problem areas. You will miss that period or those periods of preparation if you are not serving God with a positive perspective. Somebody say positive. Yeah, we've got to stay positive no matter what's going on in our lives, especially since we know we serve a good God who is always watching out for us, who's always watching over us. If you listen uh, to verses 25 through 29, listen to what they say as we look at God uh, encouraging us to have a positive perspective, a, a positive outlook. In verse 25, he says, I will 
make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts. Verse 26, I will make them the place and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. Verse 27, the trees will yield their fruit. The ground will yield its crops and the people will be secure in their land. Verse 28, they will live in safety and without fear. And in verse 29, he says, I will provide. Now, if you go back to verse one, Ezekiel says this. He says, the word of the Lord came to me, which makes this a revelation of those things that are certain to come. And so now what we have here is a matter of revelation versus situation, because if all that God will do in verses 25 through 29 are his revelation, then the situation is he hasn't done them yet. And that's where we get in trouble in the in-between. When God says he's going to do something in our lives and we have to live in that period where it hasn't happened yet. Now, this is an issue of revelation versus situation. And I think this issue of revelation versus situation may be better understood by looking at the situation in which Mary, the mother of Jesus, faced in Luke chapter one. If you remember the story, it's there where the angel Gabriel comes down and he says to Mary, he says, do not be afraid. I have found you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. These are the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary. And Mary, she responds to that revelation by asking the question, how can this be since I am a virgin? Now, an angel is standing there telling her what God is going to do through her. But Mary doesn't get it. She's having a hard time receiving God's revelation. Why? Because like so many of us, she's trying to apply a heavenly, uh, her worldly understanding to a heavenly revelation. Mary cannot comprehend at that moment God's revelation because she is comparing it to her situation. And to Mary, as long as she is in her current situation, she has concluded that the revelation cannot become a reality. And like Mary, whatever we're, whatever we're going through can get such a tight grip on us that even when God reveals to us some declaration of deliverance or a promise of prosperity or a blessing in our lives, we can't see ourselves getting from where we are to the place God wants us to be. But I want to tell you today that God's revelation always trumps your situation. Why? Because when God gave you the revelation, he already knew your situation. And so the revelation he's giving you is directly connected to the situation you're going through. Amen. And so what God is telling somebody today is that if you just trust his revelation, you can rejoice in your situation even before your situation gets better. This is why some of us can praise God no matter what we're going through, because we understand that if God says he's going to do it, then he's going to do it. And no matter what we're going through, even if we can't see it happening, thank God he can. Amen. 
because sometimes we don't understand what God is doing in our lives. Sometimes we just don't get it, and that's okay. Sometimes we're not supposed to get it, because if we get it, we will get in the way of what God is trying to do. That's why God can't tell us sometimes that he's about to fix something, because we step in and get in the way of what God is trying to do in our lives. And so when God gives us the revelation, and we look at our situation, and we don't see how the two are connected, we can just thank God that we serve a God who is bigger than anything that we're going through, and that can handle anything that we put in his care. Amen. What we have to learn how to do is just trust God through our transitions and trusting the promises that God gives us through his word. It is his promise that I had to learn how to trust. I've been there in the in-between where I got impatient with God and I was like, God, you're not moving fast enough or you're not doing enough to fix this situation. And he was doing just enough at just the right time. And I just had to learn how to trust him. I had to learn how to trust the promises that he revealed to me in his word. Some time ago, it was years ago, uh, it was a Saturday night, I got a call and it was late Saturday. This is when I was pastoring, like I was preaching every week, just about. And so my family and friends kind of knew that Saturday nights were not the best time to call me. Um, Because I was either still working on a sermon last minute like I shouldn't uh, or, you know, I was trying to get some rest. Most times it was, you know, working on a sermon. Uh, So my phone rings and I'm not going to answer it, but it's my niece. And this is the niece. For those of you who have nieces and nephews that um, are yours, you know, your brother or sister's child, but they are yours. This is that niece, right? She is my sister's child, but you would believe she was mine. Calls me for everything from wherever she is. She's overseas. She's in Italy right now. We'll call for anything. So she called me one Saturday night, and it bothered me a little bit, you know, that she was calling, but I thought, that's her. Let me answer the phone. And she was so excited because she had gotten engaged, and she wanted to call and tell Uncle Mike about, you know, her getting engaged. And I was blessed because I was actually even blessed to give her away at her wedding. That's how close we are. Um, Well, she was very excited and she started talking to me about, you know, the ring and all the things that were going to happen. And she was so far down the road. And I started thinking about how excited she was and, and how she had not gotten married yet, but she was excited because he had proposed and put the ring on her finger. And all she had at that moment, even in her excitement, was a promise. That proposal came with the promise of a wedding. It came with the promise of a honeymoon. It came with the promise of a new family and a new future. But that night, she had not had the wedding yet, and she had not gone on the honeymoon yet. She had not started her new family yet, and she had not stepped into her new new future yet. All she had at that moment was the promise, and she was excited about the promise. And I remember thinking that she did a few things, three things with that promise on that night. She started doing it wherever she went. She believed in the promise, she shared the promise, and she prepared for the promise, and she did it all in celebration of the promise. And so I want to encourage you, or as I encourage you, to trust God through transition. I believe some 
really healthy ways to display our trust in him. Looking back at my call with my niece on that night are to believe God's promises through transition, to share God's promises through transition, to prepare for God's promises through transition, and most importantly, celebrate God's promises through transition. And so no matter where you are right now, no matter where God is taking you, whether you're in a positive place or a negative place, just go and look at the word of God. And I'm sure you'll find something that can help you to keep moving forward because you can't do it on your own. Get in the company of people who are going to be encouraging for you and to you so that you can celebrate God through whatever transition he's taking you through individually and as a church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for blessing us just to be together today. We're grateful for the many things that you have taken us through that have made us who we are so that we can continue moving forward with you and go through so much more, being stronger in our faith, having more prayer warriors and people of faith in our lives to go through things with us. And ultimately, God, getting us to a place where we can be a blessing to those who are facing the challenges that you've already helped us go through. And so as we move forward, as we transition in life from one season to the next, we're prayerful that you will give us peace in those problem areas, that you will take us through those periods of preparation, and we're going to commit to moving forward, following the lead of the Holy Spirit with a positive perspective. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.